0: Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. As we all move forward in light of COVID-19, we want to encourage you to make a priority of joining us in person for worship. Because as you know, listening to a podcast can never replace the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we look forward to seeing you soon. In the meantime, here is this week's message. Good morning. Um, I'm glad to be here with you as we start our new sermon series titled, I'll Do It Tomorrow, Finding the Power to Change. See, change is usually something we think about at the start of a new year. Whether you make New Year's resolutions or not, all of us are thinking about how perhaps this year could be better than last. Especially this year, we're thinking about how it can be better than last let 's be honest, change is rather well, difficult, isn't it? See, generally, I like change. I mean, I, I find a new hobby quite frequently. Anybody else do that? Just okay, three of us, okay? Yeah, I like new things. I like adventure, I like just I, I enjoy new stuff. And I remember talking to a wise leader a couple years ago and saying. I just don't see what, pro- what people's problem is with change. I don't understand why they have such a hard time with it because I love it. He quickly responded, well, yeah, because it's always your idea. How do you like it when it's someone else's idea? And all I had to do was sit back and think about when Jessica and I first got married. See, one of the things I had to change, and I didn't particularly care for it, is I would come home, she would would be at home, I would come home from a long day at work, I would wanna come home and eat, then I'd put on my headset, turn on my Xbox. Yes, that's the generation I'm from, okay, just to let you know. I would come home, just got married, I would work all day, come home, put on my headset with my friends, turn on my Xbox and play video games with my friends, and I couldn't figure out for life me why she's upset. She can watch how awesome I am at Call of Duty. Doesn't she understand what a privilege that is? Turns out that's not a good way to start a marriage. And it turns out I had to make some changes. Seems like many of us have a problem with change. So I started looking up some quotes uh, and I found some that I think just bring together kind of, you know, the difficulty of change. Let's look at them. Woodrow Wilson, it's the first one. He says this. He says, if you want to make some enemies, try changing something. I like this one. It says, people are very open-minded about new things as long as they are exactly like the old ones. This wasn't even a pastor who said that. I mean, this is just the reality of life. Look, next one. It says, it's not necessary to change. Survival is not mandatory. That one kind of sticks. That stings a little bit, doesn't it? Got another page of them, two more. This one says, after you've done a thing the same way for two years, look over over it carefully. After five years, look at it with suspicion. After 10 years, throw it away and start all over. It's a railroad executive there. Next one says, if you're in a bad situation, don't worry, it'll change. If you're in a good situation, don't worry, it'll change. Those are pretty true, they're funny, but I mean, all of us struggle with change, but the reality is, Change is one constant thing in life. Seasons change, people change, leadership change, and some changes can be exciting like a promotion at work, the first warm day of spring. My buddy, he's a Buffalo Bills fan. They just won their first playoff game in 25 years. And he is so excited about the change for their football team. Weather changes; they can be negative, they can be painful. A loss of a loved one, a relationship didn't work out. Clemson's last football game. Is there just two Clemson fans in here? Just Chris. Chris seemed like the only one who got upset at that one. It was, it was pretty bad, though, wasn't it, Chris? That was pretty. Yeah, you agree? Okay, yeah. So many times we face change and we aren't sure what to do. I mean, it tests our faith. It can seem random. It can seem chaotic. Change can seem pointless, pointless, but it doesn't have to be that way because change is a part of life. If we embrace change, if we embrace what we're going to learn about today, what the Bible says about it, you can actually make it through change. You can face change with a positive outlook and allow it to pull you closer to God. See, our bottom line today, what I want you to get from the sermon is this. Change is part of life. It will either bring us closer to God or take us further away. So before before we go any further, how are you at change? Are you flexible or are you rigid? Do you allow those changes to bring you closer where you draw closer because you don't know what to do? You don't know how it's gonna turn out. It's scary and it's ending. Do you pull closer to God or do you pull away from him? And I would add as a pastor, do you pull it away from his people? How many times have you seen that? Where change, people pull away, people walk away, people try to go alone. But you see, the writer of Ecclesiastes knew that change was woven in to the fabric of life. He gives us a picture of change, a picture of both positive and negative experiences. And if we look at it, we'll see there's something rather orderly about it all. If we embrace the realities of how life actually works, We can experience these changes with a positive outlook. So how do you handle it? If you have your Bible with you, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Probably one of the most famous poems in the world, and you might have thought this was just in your favorite rock song, like you've heard these lyrics before. This is actually in the Bible. I hope you've seen it before. Now, if you've never read Ecclesiastes or you're not familiar with it, you should read it. It makes me laugh because he's miserable. At least at the beginning. I mean, he is a very, very miserable person who has absolutely everything. He's the wealthiest person the world has ever seen. He's the most powerful person of his time. He has the biggest houses. He has a 1,000 women. I mean, I'm telling you, he had everything he thought would make him happy. He starts writing about it. He tells us that these things don't make you happy. Then he says this, Ecclesiastes 3, verse 20, says this. He said, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. So when you step back and you look at life and you look at the flow of life, he says, there's a time, there's something that's woven in our world this season of how our world actually works that everything has a purpose, and everything has a place. See, we don't have time to look at it, originally had it in here, but had to cut it out. You see, the first two chapters, the writer talks about not the things under the heavens, right here, he calls it under the sun. And when he talks about the things under the sun, that is the things of without God. Under the sun represents just a worldly view. When you look at things under the sun, it just seems pointless, it seems meaningless. He says, your work, well, it's really meaningless. He says, your riches, it's meaningless because you're just going to give to somebody and they're going to do whatever they want with it. He says, all your hard work, it's pointless. He says, wisdom, there's no point of even being smart, he said, because guess what happens? The wise person and the unwise person, what happens to them in the end? He says, they both die, so what's the point? He just has this very pessimistic outlook on absolutely everything. This this life without God seems random and hopeless. And we, as creatures, we do our best to try to make it pain free, problem free. But does it work? No, it, it doesn't. But he says a life with God that's every activity under the heavens. This life with God is actually orderly, and there are seasons. And it's full of change. Look what he says. We're gonna read this straight through. He says, There's a time for everything and seasons for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. Some of y'all need to underline that throw away part, don't you? If you have an attic full, a garage full, and four storage sheds, it's time to throw away. Moving on. He says, a time to tear down and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate, and a time for war and a time for peace. You see, this poem paints the completeness of the human experience. There's an appointed time, there's a season for everything that happens, and these things we simply do not and cannot control. I mean, he starts it off with the obvious do you control when you were born? No, it's been appointed. Do you control when you die? No, it's been appointed. There are things that happen. In fact, if you think about it, can you control when it's time to harvest or when it's time to plant? No, we actually have to follow something else out there. We don't get to pick what time it is. We have to do it according to the seasons. And if you think about it, do you control when you laugh or when you cry? No. The reality is he paints this orderly picture, says we have a time. There's things that happen in this world that you really aren't in control of. See, what Solomon's pointing out, it's what we're gonna look at today, is how God, it will be up here, yes. God is sovereign over the seasons of life. God is sovereign over the seasons of life. Quite literally, and figuratively, if I had my way, there would never be winter again. Anybody else? I would abolish it. When they tell me global warming is a scary thing, because the winter, I'm going, listen, I'm about to buy a V8 for everybody in my house. I don't like winter. I'm not a fan of it. But there's absolutely nothing I can do about it. Winter's going to come regardless, just like the other seasons in life. They're going to come regardless. There's nothing you can do to stop it. In other words, God brings changes into our lives. He appoints the times and He creates the seasons. And there's nothing we can do to stop it. God is the God of all seasons, He is the God of all life experiences, which includes both the positive. And this is the hard part. Includes both the positive and the negatives. He is still the God of it all. And it makes us uncomfortable. But Solomon says, listen, this is just how the world works. If you've embraced another view of who God is, if you've embraced another view of who's in control, you've missed it. He said, God is the God of all of it. And if he's not in control of all of it, then that means we live in a random, chaotic world world. He's either the God of all of it or he's the God of none of it. We have, there's no other option. So Solomon says, yeah, life without God seems random. It seems chaotic. It seems meaningless. A life with God, we can actually step back. And even the atheists who might not believe in God, they'll have to admit there's an order to life. There are seasons. Someone's had to put this time and these things in place. You see, God appoints Both a time to harvest and a time to plant. But he's also the God who builds. But he's the God who tears down. So I just want a God who builds. Like I just want the good thing. That's not how life works, is it? Remember the Tower of Babel, what did God do to that? Tore it down. Kingdom of Israel, what did he do? Build it up. He's the God of both. And one of the saddest things I've ever seen is when Christians aren't prepared for this reality. As a pastor a few years back, I watched an older gentleman die. He was in his late 80s, maybe early 90s, and he died a strong believer in the faith. I mean, absolutely loved the Lord, but he was dying of congestive heart failure. He was, again, early 90s, and it took about a year for it to happen. He just slowly died, but it was it's almost peaceful. He knew it. But he was such a believer. He was such a man of God. And he just slowly, slowly, slowly. We all knew it was coming. Went and visited him all the time and prayed with him, talked. And he was ready to meet his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But when he died, his wife couldn't believe it. She couldn't believe that God would allow him to die. She just knew in her heart that God was only going to make him better. She thought that God was just, you know, he would heal and he'd have a much longer life ahead. And I'm trying to talk to her, but he's in his 90s. He's had an amazing, great life. God is the God of life, but he's also the God of death. You see, God offers us eternal life. And what's the only way to embrace that eternal life is through the doorway of death. But because of his job, he was so prepared. He had everything written out for every next step you could possibly imagine what happens after he died. He was fully prepared and she was completely unprepared because she thought that God was only the giver of the things she wanted. She didn't have a real view of life. See, no matter how much we try, we cannot escape the seasons, the appointed times, the rhythms of life. We would prefer if God was one-sided, right? Only builds up, never tears down what Solomon, this wisest man to ever live, says that's just not how it So what you and I can count on is change. We can count that God brings change into our lives. He brings these new rhythms. He brings different times about in our lives. And while life is full of change, what's the one thing we can count on? That he doesn't change. That he is a sovereign God. God never says that life's not gonna change. He says, I'm not gonna change. But life will be full of it because God is sovereign over the seasons. And luckily for us, because we are New Testament people, we are Christians, we believe in Jesus Christ, we learn something even probably more valuable than just that God is sovereign. He's in control of all of it. We learn something about Jesus. We learn that Jesus is, we'll just skip that today. Jesus was always right on time. This is one of those things you may miss when you read the New Testament, but you will see that Jesus is always on time. Let me share these verses with you. Galatians 4.4, 4, Paul says this, but when the set time had fully, yep, here we go. We're getting there. It says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. I mean, he was right on time. Look at Mark 1:15. Jesus said, the time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus says, hey, it's here. I was not only born on time, the time is right now. Jesus was well aware of time. This is so big. Keep going. Next, next page. John seven thirty says, as they tried to seize him, but no one laid his hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Fully in control of time. Even when you think Jesus is late, do you remember Martha and Mary, their brother Lazarus died. They said, Lord, if you were on time, this wouldn't have happened. And he said, Oh no, I'm right on time. Lazarus, come on out of here. Jesus is always on time. Romans 5, 6 says this. You see just at the right, just at the right, what's that word? Time, right on time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And this is another one that's really cool because it was predicted in scriptures, and then he pulls it off. It was written well before he was born. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, for what I see from the Lord I passed unto you is of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's not saying because the scripture's telling us. What's that saying is the scripture said he would raise on the third day and then he pulled it off. Again, Jesus is always on time. He is the alpha, he is the omega, he is the beginning, he is the end. And if he is always on time, that means you and I can trust his timing. We can trust the change he brings about in our lives. And right now, all of us are saying, we want this pandemic to end and we want it to end when? Now. We want that job and we want that job. We want that relationship and we want it. When we understand God is sovereign, that means all powerful and in control. And when we understand that Jesus is right on time every time, we can step back and stop being so demanding about what we want. Jesus has always been on time. See, as we start this series, this is going to be a four-week series, and we talk about change, the thing I want us to wrap our mind around is that change isn't a bad thing. Change isn't something we have to avoid It's hardwired into our world. God is the God that brings about change. And I'm not trying to insult your intelligence today. Please don't think that like, well, of course life changes, Brian. Thank you for that. No, I want us to build this foundation of the sovereignty of God and the timing of Jesus because as a pastor, I can quite confidently tell you that Christians do a terrible job at accepting change we act like no one's in control. We act like God isn't there. But change is something God brings, and whether it's change in our country, whether it's change in our churches, whatever it may be, Christians wanna fight against it, thinking that somewhere back then was the perfect time. Somewhere back then, everything was completely right. We act as if time is supposed to be frozen, And if the way the things happened back then, or maybe it was easier, maybe it was better, I'm not too sure. But if it was supposed to be that way, who would make sure it was that way? Yeah, our sovereign God would. Because if something was perfect, it would be prescribed to us in the Bible. What that means is prescribed, meaning you have to do. Just like being born again, in order for me to get saved, I have to put my faith and trust in Jesus. You follow me? That's a prescription. I have to do it. If there was something that we had to do, God would prescribe it to us. And if it's not prescribed in the Bible, then it's not perfect, and it's open to change. Because change is a part of life. It can bring us, change is a part of life. It can bring us closer to God or take us further away from him. And I have seen so many Christians, and perhaps you have too, allow change to take them away from God and His people because they think it's supposed to be this certain way. And I say this with all respect. I absolutely love you, okay? You know, you know what's coming next, right? I love you. But you are not God. You are not in control. Nobody needs to bow to you nor to me. God is God and we are not. He gets to decide what happens and how things go. We don't. You see, believing and trusting in the sovereignty of God, I'm telling you, it can be life changing if you're not already there. Understanding Jesus is always on time will stop you from thinking you have to take responsibility for things that you have no responsibility over. Because even though God is God, and even though he'll take care of what he needs to take care of, we still have a responsibility in that. It's not to control the world. Our responsibility is to follow him in the midst of those changes. Not worry about how the changes occur or what happens. Our responsibility is to follow him in the midst of it. For instance, fatalist. Y'all ever heard of fatalist? Fatalist. All right, if not, here's what it is. A fatalist believes everything's going to happen the way it's going to happen, and the fatalist believes it's going to happen even your personal response, meaning, I'm going to say what I'm supposed to have said. So it doesn't matter if I wanted to say or not, I'm fated to say it, and that's just how the world works. It takes all of your personal responsibility off of you and puts it on something else. Christians, we're not fatalists. What we believe is this is God's world. And God's gonna bring about change and he's gonna have seasons and we can't control that. But what can we control? What we do. Our responsibility isn't to be God. Our responsibility is to follow him in the midst of changes. So God, you must be up to something. I don't know. But whatever's going on, I'm just gonna follow you through it. I love the way one pastor puts it. He says, our responsibility is to simply ride the waves. Not create them. But some of us are in the ocean mad that waves are even there. We just ride them. We enjoy them. We don't create it. We just take the opportunities and the things that are God, God is doing and get on board, board with it. We, we take responsibility to follow God through every season. All right, that's all we're supposed to do is take responsibility to follow God in every season of life. And when I think about... Through the Bible and an illustration to kind of bring this point home. When I think of somebody who did this, I think of Daniel. Y'all ever heard of Daniel? There's a book in the Bible named after him. Check that out. You can read all about him. Did you know that? Just the first six chapters are really good. Then it gets very deep, very quick. Just like, you know, a lot of prophecy in there, but first six, it's amazing. You see Daniel, well, he was Jewish. And the kingdom of Judah got taken over by the Babylonians, and when Babylon would come in and take them over, they would take all the smart, uh, kind of upper-class people, I'm not making this up, upper-class kids who were wealthy, who, you know, parents, stuff like that, they would take all the smartest kids, and they, the king would bring them on to his court, send them to school. Basically, he wanted all the smart people working for him, so we captured them. Pretty good idea, right? If you're a king, let me get some other opinion. Diversity, right? So we got all these other people, trained them up, brought them in. And that was Daniel. Well, when Daniel was in training, you probably know this story. Remember, Daniel was in training, and the king picked out a food, and the official said, here's the food you have to eat when you're part of the king's palace. What Daniel said, he said, I can't eat this food. It'll defile me. It goes against Jewish dietary laws. I can't eat this. The official said, you have to eat it. If you don't eat it, I could be killed. Daniel said, well, how about this? He said, give me 10 days. You give me 10 days, give me what I can only eat, and then you look at how I look versus how everybody look, and then we can make a decision. And wouldn't you know, after the 10 days, Daniel looked amazing. Daniel continued, he served two kings, two kings for Babylon. And then when the Medes and Persians came and take them over, it's in history books, right? They came and took out Babylon. Then he served two of their kings as well. Do you remember one of them when, Daniel became one of the chief administrators, like one of the top people for the Persians. I mean, he just did this with Babylon. now. He's one of the top people for Persians, and the people were very jealous of Daniel. They were jealous of his position and his leadership, and they said, well, we can't find any fault. We can't talk bad about him. We really want his job. Do you remember what they did? They went to the king and said, how about this? Make a law that nobody can pray only to you, king, that they can't pray to any other gods. They can only pray to you. They did this because they knew Daniel was going to pray to his god. So they outlawed prayer. So what did Daniel do? He went and pray about it. You got to love Daniel. He said, like, hey, look, I'm following God in this. He went and prayed about it. They caught him. You remember? The king felt really bad. These guys tricked him. So they took Daniel and threw him where? Man, you guys have some good Sunday school teachers. You need to thank them right now. Threw him the lions then. Did the lions get him? no. Daniel got pulled out of lines then. Then they threw who in next. That's the part our Sunday school teachers don't tell us. They threw those people with their kids and families in the line then. Yeah, Sunday school teachers leave out like the rough. That's that's the the PG-13 story, isn't it? That's the above. Yeah, and the lines, they ended up being pretty hungry and it didn't work out so well for them. But see, Daniel... He's a guy who was stripped away from his home. He watched his hometown be destroyed. He saw Babylon come and take over Judah. Then he saw Babylon be taken over by the Persians, meaning Daniel saw war. He saw people Murdered. He probably never saw his family again. He went through good bad bosses. He went through bad bosses. He went through lions' den. He saw his faith outlawed. But in all of that change, he allowed that, which is probably far more than we're going to go through. Would we agree? That's pretty crazy. His life. He allowed that to pull him closer to God, rather than allow him to run from him. See, Daniel didn't try to take responsibility for what God was doing. Daniel just kept following him in the midst of it. You see, when we understand that change is natural, we understand that this is God's world and we are just a part of it, we realize there's no reason to fight against what he's doing because we will not win. He is God. In fact, it could be very well your secret to happiness See my observations, people who are miserable, excuse me, people who don't like change, they get pretty miserable. Because life is full of it. And you think I'm making this up, but look what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 3:11, after his poem, he says this: He says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Speaking of God. He has also set eternity in the heart, in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end listen he says when you step back you see the rhythm you see the order that life has and that he has created all of it and it's and it's beautiful you realize you don't have to try to be him in fact not only is it beautiful he's put that longing inside all of us whether you believe or not all humans want to live forever there's something inside of us that, that draws us to the eternal, to something bigger than ourselves. And Solomon says, yeah, God's put that in our hearts. You see, while everything has its time and everything has its place, all of us long for more. And Solomon says, you see, God is bigger. You see, there's more out there. So why even try to understand this? And I love his next advice. Listen, this is gonna be so deep. It's gonna be so theological. You might want to underline this verse, go back to it. It's going to be rather hard to understand. He says this. He says, I know there is nothing better, you get that? Nothing better than for people to be happy, to do good work while they live, excuse me, to do good while they live, and that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. says, when you realize that God is sovereign, when you realize that he already has all of this figured out and he doesn't need our help, we can actually rest and relax and enjoy life. Best illustration I got is a cruise ship. How many of y'all been on a cruise? Do you go up and bother the captain and want to know how you're going to get there, or when you're going to get there and what it looks like? You're at the buffet. You're not worried. You're like, I don't know. That's not my job. I'm going to go to the buffet. What do they say? Everybody gets like five to 10 pounds at a cruise or something like that. 15, 20. I don't know. It's a lot, isn't it? Yeah. And in life, you're not the cruise captain. You can sit back at the buffet. He's got it. He's God. So Solomon says, when you realize that you're not in control, you can stop trying to control things. We can stop being God and understand that change is going to happen. Some of it we're going to like, some of it we're not going to like. My receding hairline, I mean, I'm not where Doug is yet, thank goodness, but my receding hairline, right? I don't care for it, but I can accept it or I can fight it. But see, Solomon says, no, when you understand God's sovereign, he says, you can be happy. I don't have this up there. He says, you can be happy. That's literally what he says. Can you go back to that verse? Yeah, look, he says you can be happy. There's nothing better than to be happy. Like, why, why am I so negative? I don't know. Sounds like God's sovereign. Be happy. I love the way Charles Stanley says it. He says this, disappointments are inevitable. Discouragement is a choice. Charles Stanley's wise, I like that. Disappointments are inevitable. Discouragement is a choice. You said that idea of being happy means joyful and a cheerful countenance just smiling all the time, just like life is good. Some of us need to make that our mission statement in life, don't we? Trying to figure out what your life is. Be happy. That's it. Just go for that. Be happy. And then he says, do good. Well, you know, the Bible says this. Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, he says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He says, so be happy. Go do moral and ethical good things for other people. And then he says, celebrate life. That's what eating and drinking and being merry. He says, find reasons to celebrate. Find reasons to party. We talked about partying last week. Do you remember that? When Jesus told a story, talk about party. I'm not talking about keg stands, Chuck. Just to let you know. I'm not talking about those type of parties. But he said, find reasons to celebrate. I have to admit, that's one thing I'm not good at. I'm not good at celebrating. I need to get better at that. But he says, when you realize God's in control, you can just celebrate life. Think about it. I wonder if the next time you get upset, the next time change is occurring and it's good change or bad change, you know, and you just don't like what's going on, you're not sure what's happening, I wonder if you just took his advice. I wonder if it would work out for you. Because think about it. In order to be happy, you'd have to what? Not focus on the things you don't like. If you are doing good, that means you'd have to think of somebody outside of yourself. And if you're celebrating, that means you're gathering together, being cheerful, buying cake. Who who can be disappointed while eating cake? Nobody. It's not possible. So think about this. Next time something's bothering you, he says, yeah, well, stop focusing on what's bothering you. Focus on something positive. Go do good for somebody else and throw a party. Someone's like, you don't, And I wonder if that would actually help you work through change rather than focus on the negative, rather than focus on the fact that you're not God because you're not. He says you don't have to worry about that when you get that he's in control. Because he says in verse 14 this, he says, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Meaning if God's doing something, can you stop it? In fact, you wouldn't want to. He's God. And he says nothing can be added to it and nothing can be taken from it. In other words, God doesn't need your help. Isn't that comforting? They no, he doesn't need, like, it's very comforting. I know some of us were like, no, he, he should ask me what's going on. It's comforting to know that he doesn't need me, that he's way smarter than me. Because if He was like, Brian, look, I got this equation. The sun's about to hit earth. This is algebra. I need you to work it out. We'd all be in trouble, right? He doesn't need us. He's got this. God is God, and he's going to do what he's going to do so I can be happy I can do good. I can celebrate life because he is God and I am not. You see, because of my relationship with Jesus Christ, I can embrace the seasons of life, the change that's inevitable gonna happen, and I can embrace it with happiness, doing good, because I've seen how much he loves me. I've seen what he did for me on the cross. And I know that he's promised me salvation and eternal life. So no matter what happens here, it's going to be fine. So why not just choose to enjoy it while we're here? Remember, God created this earth for him, but for us. He put us here to enjoy it. So why not enjoy it? See, change, it's not bad, it's not good, it's just a part of life. Next week, what we're going to learn is if you're a Christian, if you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, we're going to learn that change isn't actually an option. It's what we're called to. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for you. We thank you that you are sovereign. You are the God who's in control of this entire world and everything in it. Lord, we don't understand seasons. I don't understand winter. I think it's pointless. But yet, Lord, It's here. There are things that are going to happen in our lives that we don't understand, that we dislike, but yet in the midst of all of that, you tell us we can count on you. We see in the life of Jesus that you're always on time, even when we think you're light. So God, we trust that you are sovereign and all in control. We trust that your perfect timing is the right time. And in that, Lord, I just pray that each and every one of us, us believers, we can just enjoy life. We can be happy. We can find reasons to celebrate. We can love our neighbor as ourselves. That when we believe and trust in your sovereignty, Lord, it allows us to just relax a bit. Take a step back. Just start trusting. God, we are thankful that you are God. We're thankful that you love us, that you care about each and every one of us. We're so thankful that you chose to step in our world, in our time and give us salvation. We're so thankful that we can trust in Jesus, knowing that no matter what happens here, that we will go to a better place, a life of bliss, a life in your glory, a life that will never end. Lord, we thank you for that salvation. We thank you that you offer it to each and every one of us. We just turn from our ways in trusting in you. God, allow us to embrace change with a smile, Allow us to go through these seasons of life knowing that you got this. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.